Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Welcome back to Buried Motives. We're glad you're joining us this week. Christy has got a case for us. I do. And I'm going to begin with a question that could be rhetorical. But listeners, what do you envision when I tell you to think of a French maid? Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) What? That's where your mind goes? (laughs) Yes. Okay, mine did not go PG. (laughs) There's the little dust feather thing on Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) I know. But I did not immediately go to Beauty and the Beast. I am almost certain that the case I'm going to tell you about today, about two actual French maids, is not going to match the vision you have in your head right now. It does not include short little skirts and feather dusters. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) This case happened in France in the 1930s and took not only France, but the world by storm. And a little side note, I will do my best with the pronunciations, but please don't come for me if I say something wrong. We do try our best. I did look up the pronunciations, but that still doesn't guarantee I will say all of the French words correctly. It's always a struggle. And just because Canada's second language is French doesn't mean we all speak French. Not fluently enough to get all of the words properly. And France French is different than Canadian French. Absolutely it is. Today's case is going to have us questioning if someone can simply reach a boiling point and lash out in the most brutal of ways. Can the pressure build until it reaches an explosive state? Or is snapping in the heat of the moment just an excuse when someone's inner dirtbag finally rears its ugly head? This case has also been used in debates about the divide between economic classes. As you may have gathered, this case is a couple killing. This time, I am covering a case of two sisters who had a rough start in early 1900s France. Two women who went from common obedient to murderesses in what seemed like a split second. Oh, man. Did they do in their boss? They do. Many people have dreamt of it, but these two women actually do it. And was their boss awful? Well, I'll let you be the judge of that. To start this case, we need to start with the parents. This is not a romantic love story by any means, and both were terrible people. In 1901, a man named Gustav Papin met a woman named Clemence Dare. Gustav worked in his father's cloth mill and was around 26 at the time. He was born near the end of 1875. But I could not find a birth date for Clemence, so I'm unsure how old she was. Clemence worked in a seedsman shop. So they're both working class. Yes. It seemed like their relationship was pretty brief before Clements became pregnant. In 1901, an unwed woman would have been an unbelievable scandal. So despite not really wanting to, with Clements being four months pregnant, the pair were immediately wed. The report said that Clements was pretty much forced to marry the father of her baby. But I am unsure how he felt about it. From what I did read, it sounded like Gustav had real feelings for his new bride. In February of 1902, Clemence gave birth to a baby girl in Le Mans, Département de la Sarthe, Pays de la Loire, France. Loire, I believe, is the longest-running river in France. The newlyweds named their daughter Amelia. Gustav got a job working in a sawmill, and so the young family moved to a village named Meringue in 1904. 
Four years after their first child was born, Clements became pregnant again and gave birth to a second daughter on March 8, 1905, whom they named Christine. By all accounts, Clements was not the motherly type. There isn't any records of how she had dreamt her life would turn out, but being tied down as a wife and a mother was not it. And it showed in the way she treated them. She was described as not being very maternal. Having another baby was too much for Clements. And so, at her bidding, they sent their infant daughter to live with Gustav's sister, Isabel, and her husband. Christine would live with her aunt and uncle for the first seven years of her life. Life without her parents was good for her, and had she been able to stay there, I am fairly certain things would have turned out differently. One report said that Amelia would stay there too, but I'm not sure if that was just sometimes. Back at home, things were not all sunshine and rainbows in the Papin home, despite having one less child to care for. Clements began to have an affair with the man she worked for. The milkman? No, the seeds man? The seed man? <laughs> the seed man. I'm assuming it's the same man. Actually, it might not be the same man because they did move. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but whoever she was working for at the time, they started to have an affair. Which would have been quite the scandal. Oh, absolutely. Gustav found out about the affair and was rightfully upset and demanded the affair to stop. Again, this was a time that divorce would have been more looked down upon, and it would have been extra humiliating for a man to have his wife stepping out on him. Clemens didn't want to be with Gustav from the start, and so she continued to bump uglies with her boss. Gustav suspected that the affair wasn't over, and so he decided that he was going to get a job in a different city so he could pack up his family and move his wife far enough away from her lover, so the infidelity would have to end. To no surprise, Clemens refused. She threatened Gustav that she would take her own life if he tried to move her, and so they stayed in Le Mans. No way. Mm -hmm. That would have been so difficult for him to just put up with. Yeah, I can't imagine. He was kind of in an impossible situation. And did that spoil over to their family life? Oh, absolutely it did. To cope with his situation, Gustav began drinking more heavily. It did not take long for alcoholism to take a hold over him. The parents would fight, and the girls would feel caught in the middle. Despite their issues, Clements became pregnant a third time. On September 15, 1911, Clements gave birth to a third daughter, Leah. It had worked so well giving her baby to someone else to raise the last time that she decided to do it again, this time giving her baby to Clements's brother to raise when Leah was two years old. Leah lived there until her uncle passed away. Some of you might be wondering if Leah was actually the boss's baby, but Leah and Christine grew up to look almost like twins so I think they came from the same gene pool. That being said, there were rumors that Amelia was not actually Gustav's child. And then they had to get married anyway? Mm-hmm. Ooh. That was just a rumor I could not confirm nor deny. Seems like Clements has a little bit of a pattern of her behavior. It did seem that way because she knew that her husband knew about the affair and she was refusing to end it. So I thought naturally people would think the third baby would be the boss's, but I really don't think she is. They just look too similar. Yeah, almost identical. Okay. The following year in 1912, when their firstborn daughter Amelia was 10 years old, Clements claimed that she discovered that Gustav had been sexually assaulting Amelia. Clements immediately left the relationship and divorced the man whom she never wanted to be married to in the first place. The divorce was finalized the following year in 1913. And were the allegations true? Well, I said claim because he was never officially charged, but by all accounts, it sounded like he did. But I can't say 100%. Okay. And so she just found out about it and then left. 
right. right away. Immediately left, started filing for divorce. It was finalized the next year. Gustav had nothing to do with his children after this point in their lives. On Find a Grave, he is listed as possibly buried or lost at sea. So we just kind of lose track of him after this. Right now you might be thinking, wow, Clements finally did something to look out for her child. Well, if you are thinking that, you are wrong. I think she used it just as an excuse to get rid of her husband. She probably didn't care at all about her kid. Well, that did cross my mind. But possibly she did believe it because Clements didn't remove Amelia from her dirtbag pig of a husband to protect her. Oh, no. She removed her to punish her. What? She was jealous that her daughter was being sexually abused? Yes. Clements blamed her daughter for making her husband cheat on her. She fully believed that her 10-year-old child had seduced Gustav, a grown man in his mid-30s, into having sex with her. No way. Isn't that the pot calling the kettle black because she had already been stepping out on him? Absolutely. But this was even a whole different situation. Her husband was a pedophile and he raped her baby girl and she got angry with her daughter. She's blaming her daughter and accusing her of being promiscuous when it's her that's the promiscuous one. Yeah, this way of thinking just blew my mind because as a mother, your mama bear instincts would kick in and you would want to rip this man apart, not punish your daughter for being abused. That's such backward thinking. It really is. But it does happen. It's so sad. Yeah, I don't understand that at all. I also wondered, since they did see the other two daughters, was he doing similar things to a second daughter, Christine, who would have been around seven at the time? She wasn't living with them, but he would have still had access to her. Oh. So my thinking is that if he was doing it to the 10-year-old, he probably was doing it to the seven-year-old. But there's no official reports of that. That's just my speculation. Okay. Regardless, since Clements viewed her daughter as the other woman, she felt like she needed to teach her a lesson. She did so by sending her to live at the Bon Pasteur Catholic Orphanage and House of Correction. Out of spite, she tore Christine out of Gustav's sister's home and sent her to the convent with Amelia, I assume so Gustav could not see her either. So was it protective or just vindictive? I think it was to punish her husband. Okay. This orphanage was known for its strict discipline and hard work. Amelia had been living with a pedophile, alcoholic father, and a dismissive, neglectful mother prior to this, so she actually thrived in her new environment. It was a step up. It was. It could have been the first time she felt safe and seen. So most children would have a hard time in a place like this, and Clements felt it was a punishment, but Amelia loved it. Wow. Eventually, after her brother died, Clements also sent Leah to Bon Pasteur. I believe this would have been the first and only time that all three sisters would have lived under the same roof. It was during this time that the two younger sisters, Christine and Leah, grew extremely close with one another. Clements made an agreement that the girls would stay at the orphanage until they turned 15 years old. Which is actually pretty old for that time. It is. And she didn't pick this number because she felt like she could handle them better at a more self-sufficient age. Instead, she picked this age because when they turned 15, she could start making money off of them. They could be sent to work. Yes. During this time in France, and likely in a lot of other places, parents could send their children to work in other people's homes and collect the money for the work that their children earned. Up until the age of 21. Oh. The boys, I would assume, could get hired as farmhands, and the girls would be hired as domestic laborers. 
as was the case of the Papin sisters. So they went off to become French maids. Yep. In 1918, 16-year-old Amelia decided that she wanted to enter the covenant and become a nun. When she did this, she was said to have distanced herself from her family and lived out her life as a nun. I did not find any other information about her after this, but I hope she lived a good life. She had already had such a hard life to begin with. Yep, and 16 was the age that she was allowed to make that decision, so she went for it. Okay. Christine, who felt close to and looked up to her older sister, also felt like she was called to enter the covenant, but Clements forbade her. My assumption is that with her oldest child, since she viewed her as a serpent, she likely thought she needed it. But since Christine hadn't seduced her husband, she wanted to make money off of her instead. That's evil. It is. She's such a dirtbag. Again, as moms, you want what's best for your children. And had Christine become a nun, we would not be talking about her today. I'm assuming. (laughs) (laughs) I've learned you never say never, but the chances are really low. The orphanage had trained Christine to be a hard worker. They taught her to be an immaculate house cleaner and a good cook. You know, all the things that make a woman valuable. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I am lacking. (laughs) Hopefully you picked up on my sarcasm. Christine was reported to have a little bit of a rebellious nature and would sometimes push back, but her skills were deemed valuable. When Christine was old enough, her mother sent her to work in various homes as a live-in maid. People were generally happy with Christine's level of work and would want to keep her as long as they could. She was especially good at cooking. Christine would switch employers when her mother decided she wanted to earn more money off of her daughter's back and would have her switch to a higher-paying home. Clements relied on her daughters to earn money to support her. Having little regard for their well-being, she no longer had a husband, so she must have felt the kids she had might as well be useful to her. So she wasn't working herself? That I'm not sure, but she was collecting all the money that the girls were earning. And so that just left them destitute and having to continue to work because they needed a roof over their heads. Right. Clements didn't even have to house them. It was a perfect thing for her. They went straight from the orphanage into the house that they were being employed at. Eventually, Leah was taken from the orphanage and sent to work as well. When they could, the sisters would work together in the same home. Christine was definitely the more dominant of the two sisters. Leah was said to be quieter and more submissive than her older sister. Christine was described as much smarter than Leah, so Leah just kind of shadowed her sister. When the girls got old enough, they continued to work as domestic servants, except now they could collect their own paychecks. And what happened to their mom after they turned 21? There's differing reports, but it seems like they had just minimal contact with her. Okay. In late 1926 or early 1927, when Christine was 21 years old, she began working for the Lancelin family. They lived in the city of Le Mans and were very wealthy. They ran in the most elite circles and were admired for their lifestyle. The man of the house was Monsieur René Lancelin. He was a retired lawyer. He was married to a woman named Leonie, and together they had two daughters. Their eldest daughter had been married and was no longer in the home, but the youngest daughter, Genevieve, was still residing in their home at 6 Rue Bruyer, although an adult, she hadn't been married off yet, I guess, so she had to keep living with mom and dad. They lived in a beautiful and elaborate three-story townhouse. Two months after Christine moved in with them, they decided they would hire a second maid. Christine suggested her sister, 15-year-old Leah, and since the Lancelins were so happy with Christine's work, they hired Leah. 
The Lancelins stood out as different to the sisters because they treated them better than some of the other places that they had lived in and worked at. They let them eat the same food that they ate, which was not common. Usually they would get scraps. They gave them a heater in their room, and they paid them both a good wage. Interestingly, it was said that Leonie was the reason that Clements no longer took her daughter's wages. That she stuck up for them? She did. Leone told her it was not happening and that she would pay her servants directly. She would not be giving Clements one red cent. Good for her. It was a nice thing. After Leone stepped in and put a stop to their mother taking advantage of them, the sisters started referring to Leone as Maman and referred to Clements as that woman when discussing <laughs> the two women amongst themselves. Clements had it coming, to be honest. It's true. That really tells you their attitude toward their own mother. Yeah. But how did they even have a relationship with their mother? They couldn't have. Right. They were both raised out of the house. It's true. And when she did see them, it did not sound like she was very nurturing or loving. And she never once proved that she had their best interests at heart. It was all about her. Yeah. Most maids received meager food and no wage. So this job seemed like a dream come true. It did not take long before the rest of the upper-class socialites became envious of the stellar work being done in the Lancelin home by the Papin sisters. This sounds like it's going so well. How can it go wrong from here? Unfortunately, it goes so wrong. The sisters were hard workers, but Leone also had an unbelievably high standard. I question if she became more and more obsessed with her image and her home the more that people complimented her on it. When someone admired how clean her home was, did she then feel like it had to be perfect all of the time? Because this was now her status, what she was being known for. Oh, I could totally see that happening. Yeah, you have the best servants in your home. You look the best. Your house is immaculate. Your food is divine. And so you just have to keep that appearance up. Right. So her expectations became more and more unrealistic. Although it seemed from the outside looking in that the Lancelins were more than generous to their servants things would slowly become more and more toxic. Firstly, right from the start, Mr. Lancelin would not speak to the sisters, and they were not to speak to him. It was said that in the seven years that Christine and Leia worked for the family, they never spoke to Mr. Lancelin once. It's actually not hugely shocking to me. If you consider the time, taking care of the house was a woman's job, and it was the woman's job to give the servants the orders. Right. But in seven years, not even a hello? I found that kind of weird, but it possibly indicates that he felt they were beneath him. Mm -hmm. Madame Lancelin, or Leonie, would speak to the sisters, but often even she would just write down their daily tasks on paper for them to read to avoid speaking to them. The sisters were allowed to speak to Leonie and her daughter Genevieve, but only when spoken to first, which would only happen on rare occasions. One report said that Genevieve would sometimes talk to Leia, which actually made Christine extremely jealous. Leia was her sister, her best friend. Many believe this lack of speaking to the hired help was because in the early 1900s France, servants were viewed as less than. The Papin sisters were not worthy of daily pleasantries or conversations that did not concern their chores. Well, at the time, there was lots that felt that servants were just not even full humans. It's true, and that's how they had treated them. So it was a noticeable change when they first moved into the home and were actually being treated like people. But as the family gains status, then they're separating themselves even more from the servant class. Correct. Leone would walk around the house each day to inspect the work that the sisters performed. 
she would put on a literal white glove and slide her finger across the furniture and other surfaces to see if she could collect any dust. Please nobody come to my house and do that. (laughs) My little inner rebellious spirit is like, I'd want to hit her with my duster over the head because how dare you? (laughs) As you're out having tea and I'm on my hands and knees scrubbing your floor. (laughs) I would not have made a good Cinderella. (laughs) The sisters had to make sure that the family's clothing was perfectly pressed so that they could look their best at all times. Apparently, if the sisters fell short, Leonie over time became violent towards them. This is really turning. It really is. For instance, if she found dust on her little white glove, she would order one of the sisters to come to her, and then she would grab them by the head and smack it into the wall. Oh, they wouldn't fight back. They would just go up to her knowing what's going to happen, and she'd grab them by the head and and slam them into the wall. And they just stayed because they were making so much money? Like at this time, they're handling their own finances. Couldn't they start looking for a new job? Most places did not actually pay a decent wage. Most places didn't give you good food and you had to sleep in a cold room. Okay, so that's what I meant. The money was that good that they were willing to put up with this. Right. Or the security of that job was that good. Yeah. The sisters were said to work between 12 and 14 hour days, seven days a week. Christine did most of the cooking, but they both cleaned, did the mending and washing, and ran errands. They were allowed a half day off to go to church every Sunday with the family, and they would wear nice dresses. While other maids were wearing worn-down clothing, the Pappen sisters were adorned with hats and gloves to match their outfits. So that was another unusual thing for them. But another status thing for Leonie. Right. When allowed to go shopping, the sisters would purchase themselves nice articles of clothing. However, they never went anywhere except to church. They instead would periodically get dressed up and put on fashion shows for one another inside their shared bedroom. Aw, they were just two girls that liked fashion. Yeah, but had nowhere to wear it, but they still would buy the clothes and then play dress up. And how old is Genevieve compared to their ages? She would be really close to Christine's age, I believe. Okay. The longer the sisters lived with the Lancelin family, the more recluse they became, relying solely on one another. This was actually another reason why other socialites were jealous of the Lancelins. Their maids were carrying on trying to have fun and flirt with boys and men when they could, but the Pappen sisters were seen as exceptionally loyal and dedicated to their work. Because they never went anywhere, except to run errands for the family, and only purchased clothing occasionally, Christine and Leah were able to save a substantial amount of money. Other maids would go to the movies or go to cafes and dances, but not these two. Were they saving for something in particular? Or they just didn't have an interest in a social life? They just really didn't have an interest in a social life. They only cared about each other. And this leads me to my next fact, which is disturbing. As the sisters' bond grew, and the more they relied solely on one another to meet each other's needs, their relationship (gasps) turned incestuous. No, they're meeting their needs that way as well? Every way. Oh, they spent all their free time locked up in their bedroom together. No wonder they wanted to stay in the bedroom together then. Mm -hmm. And it shines a whole new light on those little fashion shows they were putting on for each other. And did the family know about this? They were suspicious, but did not know. They couldn't say for sure. I've heard about sibling incest, but I don't think I've ever heard about same sex incest between siblings. Especially not in the early 1900s. It would not have been talked about at all. No, but honestly, I can see how it would happen. They have no interaction with anybody else. 
They're locked up in a bedroom and they're teenagers. They have hormones and all those same sexual curiosities that any other teenager would have. Right. And they've never had anyone else in their life that they can rely on. This is it for them. Right. So that's their safe person. Right. A safe person to explore with. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a whole flowers in the attic kind of thing. (laughs) I can see later why there were so many movies and plays and things made about this case. Feel how you may about this, but I do have to point out that Leia was only 15 when she came to work at the Lancelins with her sister, so I sincerely hope that she was an adult when their relationship turned sexual. Either way, it feels like Christine may have groomed her younger sister, even if unknowingly, because Christine was 21 at that time. Hmm. And it does make me wonder about your previous point of maybe she was sexually abused as a child as well, because sometimes children that are sexually abused when they're young do seek validation sexually. When they get older. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of feel like she probably was. Christine also claimed that after seeing a medium, she believed that she had been her little sister's husband in a past life. Okay, that just threw me for a loop. (laughs) Yep. What? (laughs) Yeah. She did. She's like, no, we are connected through all the lives. And I was her husband last time. That's just her psyche giving her an excuse to make this okay. Possibly. I just feel like psychology experts could have a field day examining this case. There's so much going on that way. Wow. As I mentioned, the two sisters looked eerily alike. People said that as time went on, it was like they morphed into one person. Leia would shadow Christine, and Christine's viewpoints would become Leia's. They did their hair the same and wore similar clothes. The tension and divide between the Lancelin family and the Papin sisters quickly grew. Leonie's abuse towards the sisters increased, resulting in the sisters always being on edge. Well, I can just imagine if she thinks this is going on in her house and she's all about appearances, she would express anger towards them. Yeah, I could see how that would fuel her already mean streak towards them. As I mentioned earlier, Christine had a more feisty personality. Local shopkeepers and past employers of Christine's described the two girls as weird and standoffish, and said that Christine could have an attitude. According to some reports, it would appear that Christine would start to display symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia. She would sometimes experience auditory and visual hallucinations, and Leia began to experience panic attacks and anxiety. So they're both struggling. In October of 1928, Leia had dropped or missed picking up a piece of paper on the floor. Leonie walked up to Leia and pinched the skin on her arm and forcefully led her over to the piece of paper to pick it up. She pinched Leia hard enough that her arm became bruised and began bleeding. How hard do you have to pinch someone to cause bleeding? That is wild to me. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, you would bruise first, but to actually start to expel blood out of your pores? That's crazy to me. That seems like an excessive reaction. Absolutely it was. Which makes me think that there must be more going on underneath the surface of why she hates these girls so much. Could be. She had just become very obsessive at this point. Although Leia was the more timid of the two sisters, after this incident, she told Christine, quote, she had better not try that again or I will defend myself. This poor treatment of the sisters continued for years until they would lash out in the most lethally brutal way. What might have started out as self-defense quickly escalated to full-on murder. So prepare yourself for some gore. Well, they're not just going to poison them? Nope. That seems so much easier. (laughs) 
She's already the cook of the house. I know. It would be easy, you would think. Everything would come to a head on the frightful night of February 2nd, 1933. Christine was now aged 28 and Leah was 21. They had been enduring abuse at Madame Lancelin's hands for seven years. They isolated themselves from the outside world and only clung to one another. On this particular day, the women had a long list of tasks to perform given to them by Leone. That day, Leone and Genevieve were going to first do some shopping and then meet Renee, or Mr. Lancelin, at Leone's brother's home for a fancy dinner party later that evening. So the two sisters were left home alone. On their to-do list, Leone had instructed the women to take the house iron into the shop to be fixed and then iron her clothing. The ones that she was going to wear to the party? No, just her clothing in general, because they weren't planning to come home before the party. Not only did her home have to look its best, but so did she. So she just wanted it all done. The iron had stopped working a couple of days prior, blowing a fuse in the process. One of or both of the women had taken the iron to the repair shop to be fixed. So it had been a few days. She's like, make sure you get my laundry done. On this day, Leah went back and picked up the iron. The sisters had to pay for the repairs out of their own pocket since it was considered their fault. What? Because she plugged in the iron and it shorted the fuse and the iron. The house's electricity caused it, but okay. Yeah, totally unreasonable. When Leah returned home, she attempted to iron Madame Lancelin's clothing as she had been instructed. As rotten luck would have it, the same thing happened. The iron caused another power outage by blowing a fuse when it was plugged in. The sisters knew that their employer would be furious with them. They weren't sure what to do, but because evening was approaching, they decided to leave the iron and continue cleaning the rest of the house while they still had sunlight. The sisters knew that the Lancelins wouldn't be home until late in the night, so they thought they could deal with the power outage and get the iron fixed first thing in the morning. Unexpectedly, Leonie and Genevieve returned home from their shopping trip somewhere between 5.30 and 7 o'clock p.m. before heading over to the party. As they had guessed, Leone was livid that the house was dark and her clothes were still not ironed. Leone started to holler at the girls that they hadn't accomplished anything all day. Instead, they had been busting their butt cleaning. Right, and made the decision to try and at least get all the chores done and get up extra early to handle the ironing. Right, it wasn't like they were slacking off. They had a plan for how to get everything done. They just hadn't accomplished it. Right, they knew that if they had taken the time to take the iron back, and to get the fuse fixed, that there would no longer be time to clean. But Leonie didn't see it that way. She thought they were just being lazy. She likely thought that, oh, we were out all day, and so you took the day off. I can see how she would assume that because she wasn't there to oversee what they were doing. So she just assumes that they were being lazy. Right, and taking advantage of her. Mm -hmm. Christine tried to explain what happened, but Leonie refused to listen. We know that Leonie could get violent with the girls when her unrealistic expectations were not met, and this was no exception. It was said that Leonie lunged at Christine and started to beat on her. Christine later said that in an effort to defend herself, she grabbed a pitcher made of pewter and smashed it over Leonie multiple times. Genevieve was horrified by this and started to attack Christine to try and help her mother. It would be instinct to protect your mom. Oh yeah, if someone was hitting my mom with a pewter jug, I would jump in. Uh Uh-huh. Don't worry, Mom, I got you. (laughs) Leah was in the kitchen, which was located downstairs. When she heard the commotion going on, she ran upstairs to see what was happening. At this point, when she entered the room, she saw her sister on the floor trying to fight off the two women by herself. 
Christine reached her breaking point and hollered out to her sister, quote, I am going to massacre them. <gasps> Leia rushes to her sister's aid and starts to attack Leonie. Leonie was just coming to her senses after being hit in the head with the pewter jug. About Leonie, Christine screams to Leia, quote, smash her head into the ground and, quote, tear her eyes out. After telling her sister what to do, Christine followed her own orders regarding Genevieve. With her bare hands, Christine plunged her fingers into Genevieve's eye sockets <gasps> and ripped her eyes right out of her head. No way. Yes. Is this from a movie? No, this is real life. I promise it is. I saw crime scene photos. This is awful. Mm -hmm. It sounds sensationalized. It's not. That's why I said prepare yourself for the gore. Leia sees this and does the same. She uses her own hands to gouge Leonie's eyeballs out of her head. This brutal attack did not kill the two women of the house. However, the Papin sisters were not done. And this is where the case goes so far off of the track from self-defense that they can no longer even see the track. The mother-daughter duo were screaming and writhing in pain, totally at the sisters' mercy. Sadly, what these sisters were feeling was far from merciful. Oh, it sounds like they've just lost it now. They have. They walked around the house to grab some tools to help them get their revenge. And I cannot even imagine how painful and terrifying this would have been for Leonie and Genevieve, laying there on the floor with their eyes plucked out, totally at their mercy. So now they're wandering through the house looking for torture tools. Correct. First, the sisters decided to beat the two women to death with a hammer and the pewter jug. They took turns trading the hammer for the jug and repeatedly hit both women with both items until they stopped screaming. I guess these dirtbags each wanted a turn with each weapon. They just wanted to share, Christy. They share everything else. It's true. Christine later said that the women were crying out, but she couldn't recall what they said. In court, she said, quote, The victims began howling, but I don't remember their actual saying anything. Presumably dead, Christine and Leia next took a knife and began mutilating their bodies with it. They targeted their buttocks and their legs, and some reports said their genitals were also cut. For some odd reason, the sisters also took some of Genevieve's menstrual blood and smeared it all over her mother, Leonie. No way. Mm -hmm. How did they know it was her menstrual blood? It sounded like they had used a baster and had sucked some of the blood out. What? Yeah. That's just, I only read that in one report, so I wasn't going to put that in there, oh. but yeah. Like it wasn't like they took her peri pad and shoved it in her face or something like that. No, they were taking her actual blood. Out of her body with yeah. a turkey baster. Is what it sounded like. That is, how did you even come up with something like that? Well, Christine alluded to the fact that they were treating the women's bodies the way they would have prepared rabbits for cooking. It was assumed that the blood was representative of basting the animal. So I think it was, you've made me cook this dish so many times, this is what I'm going to do to your body. But to collect it from Genevieve's body? Yeah. So disturbing. I am speechless. The entire attack took two hours. Wow. They, that just speaks to how much mutilation was actually happening. And how much rage they had to maintain throughout that to keep doing it. It's true. As I mentioned, there are crime scene photos of how these women were found, and they are shocking. I am not talking little hesitant cuts. They were huge slashes across their legs. Ugh. The sisters had hit them in the head with the hammer so many times that when their bodies were found, they were unrecognizable. I'm actually surprised that these photos are made public. 
When the sisters finished their handiwork, they cleaned up the scene, left the two bodies lying on the second floor landing, and then headed up to their bedroom. Meanwhile, remember that the two women were expected to be at the dinner party. When they didn't show up, Mr. Lancelin grew worried. He decided to go home and check what was taking them so long. When he arrived, the house was dark and the door was locked. He rang the doorbell, but the maids didn't answer. He assumed they were busy cleaning and that his wife and daughter must be on their way, so he returned back to his brother-in-law's house. Mr. Lancelin was genuinely surprised that when he arrived back at the party, Leonie and Genevieve hadn't beat him there. This was extremely concerning to him. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Leonie's brother went with Mr. Lancelin back to the house. The house was still locked and dark, except this time he could see the glow from a candle warming a room on the third floor, the room that belonged to the housemaids. They didn't even try to run? No. They just went back to their room? They did. What were they thinking? They weren't. The two men decided they needed to find help, and so they went and got the police to come back to the house with them. Which is a good thing. They probably would have killed them, too. That's definitely a possibility. One of the officers was able to get into the house through a window. Christine had barred the doors because she didn't want her employer to come home and find his family how they had left them. So were they upstairs in their bedroom kind of conniving of, okay, what do we do now? How do we cover it up? No, they were enjoying themselves upstairs in their bedroom. Oh, they had gotten a little randy from their torturous ways. Yeah, it hadn't tired them completely out. Is that how they were found? Yes. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) No way. Yes. Yes, you can't make this up, Melissa. What? But we'll get there really soon. Christy, you're telling me the movie version of this story, are you not? (laughs) I promise you I'm not. Now you can see why there's so many things made. I'm going to talk about it, but there are so many things based off of this case in the media. They are upstairs in the throes of... Well, I think they had just finished. Wow. Okay, but let's carry on. So with her barring the doors so that Mr. Lancelin couldn't get in there, I wonder if they were planning to dispose of the bodies in the morning. Yeah, I assume they were upstairs, you know, coming up with a plan. (laughs) Not really. Mind you, I don't know what their small talk was. Maybe. (laughs) That was their foreplay. Gross. Oh, my goodness. And that was what was top on their mind. Hey, we just brutally butchered two women. And let's get it on instead of, ah, what do we do? Well, in couple killings, that happens quite a bit, actually. It does turn them on. That is true. As much as we don't understand it, I guess it happens. I just keep forgetting to think of these two sisters as a couple. Right. But even sometimes with a lone killer, they can be sexually roused during the act of killing. It's true. And oftentimes their motivation, at least with serial killers, can change over time because of that sexual arousal that they feel with killing. Exactly. So now the two men and the officers are in the home. With an officer leading, at first everything seemed to be okay. They had entered through the kitchen, away from the attacks. As they continued through the house, this officer shone his light on something on the floor. It was an eyeball. He ordered Mr. Lancelin to not come any further, but I believe he followed the officer to the discovery of his loved one's bodies. He didn't listen. That would be so awful. I cannot imagine. The eye had rolled from the second floor to the base of the stairs. When they went up to the second floor landing, they found the two women at the base of the next flight of stairs. Everyone was horrified to see the two Lancelin women laying on the floor, mutilated without eyes. The eye that they had first found belonged to Genevieve. Her second eye was found underneath her. 
Leonie's eyes were later found in the folds of the scarf she was wearing around her neck. Oh, Horrified, the officer initially thought that some crazed murderer had likely killed all of the women in the house. They crept up the stairs expecting to find the Pappin sisters in a similar state. Instead, when they reached their bedroom, the door was locked and they could tell that a candle was lit inside. After pounding on the door and neither sister answering, the police broke through the locked door. Or waited for a locksmith, as some reports state, but I cannot imagine them just sitting there waiting. I also can't imagine their surprise when they discovered the two sisters cuddling in bed, completely naked, with one another. So I'm assuming they had stopped their canoodling when they started banging on the door. But they were still naked hanging on to each other. I can't imagine that they called for a locksmith or else the two women would have gotten up and surely gotten dressed by that point. Yeah. I didn't believe that either, but it wasn't a couple of the reports, but I believe they probably broke through the door. On the table beside their bed was the hammer. It was covered in sticky blood and had hair stuck to it. Christine and Leah remained calm and freely admitted to killing the two women while trying to defend themselves. They were allowed to dress before being arrested. Both decided to put on a kimono. (laughs) That's an odd choice to go down to prison in. Yeah, and this is February. It was very cold at the time. A kimono would not be that warm. It's just basically like putting on a robe. A silk robe, right? Yeah. They finally just wanted to go out in style, I guess. Maybe they knew their pictures were going to get taken. Yeah, I don't know. They didn't seem to be very vain girls, though. Needless to say, the news of this double homicide took France by storm. Many people were calling it the crime of the century. And others were more concerned with the fact that the two sisters had become incestuous. This case also caused uproar between house staff and their employers. Many began accusing their domestic workers of plotting against them. The elite, who previously felt like their hired help were beneath them, were now looking at them with a fearful eye. The two sisters were housed in different jails for eight months as they awaited trial. Christine did not handle being away from her sister very well. It was said that she would pace back and forth in her cell and call out for her sister. She was clearly obsessing over Leah. At one point, Christine attempted to claw out her own eyes. She was immediately stopped and placed in a straitjacket. The day after this unhinged attempt, Christine tried to take back her statement about Leah being involved in the crime. She now was saying that she acted alone. I wonder if she was really delirious at the time or if it was an act to appear like she could go berserk at any moment, like she had when she murdered the Lancelin women. I wonder this because she pointed out to the police that the episodes were the same. Either way, the authorities didn't buy it. Hmm, that is interesting. And was she trying to protect Leah then? By acting crazy and trying to say it was all her? Yeah, I believe she was. But I think it was dual purpose. I can say, oh, no, Leia wasn't involved, but also show them how I can just go crazy and how it it wasn't my fault. This is what happened that night. So she's laying up the insanity plea. Trying to. Or maybe it was genuine and she really was trying to do this. It's really believable for me that somebody that could do those kinds of things to those two women would be the one that could flip her lid and completely become crazy at any moment. Right. It seems on par. It does, actually. So it all could have been totally genuine. During the trial, which started in September of 33, Christine did most of the testifying. Leia referred to herself as deaf and dumb and just confirmed everything that her sister said. And she said that not in a literal way, but a cheeky way. I'm deaf and dumb. I don't know. She just was not going to be saying things. Wow. 
the relationship between the two of them is interesting. Oh, that's what I mean. It'd be a field day for experts to examine. To not want to defend yourself at all? To just mindlessly follow? Still, after you've killed people. Yeah, but she totally lived in Christine's shadow. And it was talked about how they just kind of morphed into one person. And whatever Christine said, Leia agreed. Hmm. Both were being charged with two counts of murder. One psychiatrist described the crime scene as a quote-unquote orgy of blood. People were rightfully outraged. Many rallied for the death penalty to be carried out on both women, despite France not having executed a woman since the 1800s. Large crowds showed up to the courthouse every day of the trial to rally for the death of the Papin sisters. Both women were examined by three different court-appointed psychiatrists, and shockingly, they came back deeming both of the sisters as not being mentally ill, although it was said that it could be probable that Christine suffered from paranoid schizophrenia, but they wouldn't give her the official diagnosis. Right, because that would mean they could get off with their crimes. Right. One of the defense psychiatrists who studied the case but did not interview the sisters argued that Leia was not as responsible for the slayings as her older sister Christine was. About them, he said, quote, The extraordinary moral duo formed by the two sisters in which the younger one's personality was completely annihilated by the older ones. He claimed that Leia suffered from quote-unquote folle adieu, meaning psychosis of two. This condition was first coined in 1877. It alludes to the idea that two or more patients can share the same mental illness symptoms. It was explained this way, quote, In folle adieu, one individual is the active element, being more intelligent than the other. He creates the delusion and gradually imposes it upon the second or passive one. Little by little, the latter resists the pressure of his associate, continuously reaching to correct, modify, and coordinate the delusional material. The delusion soon becomes their common cause to be repeated to all in almost identical fashion. This phenomenon is also referred to as shared paranoid disorder. I think they often see that in mental hospitals. Well, I just kind of questioned, is this true with them? I don't know. Is this what Leia was experiencing? I'm not sure. Does it sound like it could be the case? Absolutely. I do feel like Leia kind of morphed into Christine. There's definitely a dependency going on there. Mm-hmm. Not to alleviate her of any of the responsibility, but you can see how this was an unhealthy thing developing. As court proceedings progressed, the court did feel that Leia was not as responsible as her sister. Leia was diagnosed as being intellectually deficit and was said to have become dependent on her older sister for everything. The same psychiatrist later alluded to the fact that he believed Leia was being sexually manipulated by her sister. Being the 1930s, the psychiatrist was not allowed to discuss the incestuous relationship during court proceedings, but he later spoke openly to the press about it. It was too taboo to talk about in court. <laughs> but you could discuss it in the media? Yeah. And you could talk about the menstrual blood and that was okay? <laughs> the sisters denied being romantically involved. However, when the sisters were briefly reunited, Christine ran to Leia, ripped open her blouse and exclaimed, tell me yes, meaning she wanted her right now. What? Allegedly, she continued to say some sexually explicit things to her sister, but they were not recorded, just rumored. So did they get it on right when they met back up? No, there was people there. She just ran over to her the one time she was allowed to see her and started unbuttoning her blouse, was ripping it open. 
That is not a normal behavior. No. The defense tried to bring in mental health histories of the Papin sisters' relatives to show that mental illness ran in their family and tried to say that the sisters experienced temporary insanity. They also tried to use the fact that the two sisters were both menstruating at the time, which added to their delirium. (laughs) And I wrote, tell me this was 1933 without telling me this was 1933. Are you kidding? That line still comes out today. (laughs) You're just extra crazy this week. (laughs) Could you imagine your lawyer (laughs) using it as a defense? Yeah. Well, your honor, she was menstruating. So that means she was delirious. It's not her fault. And the judge sitting on the pulpit was like, oh, yeah, that's totally believable. Well, in 1933, this was probably all men in the courtroom, and they're probably terrified of even the word menstruation. So, oh, yeah, yeah, that's scary. Oh, my goodness. I knew you'd get a kick out of that. (laughs) Menstruation as a defense. (laughs) Okay, ladies, if that's the case, this opens a whole new ball field for all of us. Yeah, it doesn't fly. The prosecution argued that the fact that the two sisters were cuddling in bed naked when found proved that they were not, quote-unquote, mad, just cold-blooded. At the end of the trial on September 30th, and after only four minutes of deliberation, the jury came back with a guilty verdict for both. Four minutes. Yeah. Has there ever been a jury to deliberate in less time? I looked it up, and the answer is yes. On the 22nd of July, 2004, Nicholas McAllister was acquitted in New Zealand in just one minute of deliberation by his jury. Acquitted? Yeah. Wow. They were pretty confident. They basically walked in the room. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're acquitting. Okay, good. Let's go. Wow. Yeah, I thought four minutes was impressive, so I had to look it up. Leah Papin was sentenced to 10 years hard labor, and Christine was given the sentence of death. She was to be beheaded by guillotine in Le Mans Public Square. Wow. Uh-huh. Christine did not appeal her sentence, but it was later commuted to life imprisonment on January 22, 1934, by President Albert Lebrun instead. Leah did try to appeal her sentence, but she was denied. Both sisters were housed separately in a prison in Rennes. The trial was better attended than the Lancelin women's funerals, which is really sad. They did have a great number in attendance, but this trial had become a huge sensation. As you might have expected, Christine did not cope well with being apart from her sister. It was said that she became despondent and wasted away both mentally and physically. She had become so delirious that on one occasion, they allowed her to see her sister she constantly cried out for. When she saw Leah, she did not recognize her. Instead, she calmly said, quote, She is very nice, but she is not my sister. Oh, so she definitely had some mental illness going on. Yeah. Christine refused to eat, and after being transferred to the public asylum at Rennes, she died on May 18th, 1937, at the age of 32. She starved herself to death. She did. Her cause of death is believed to have been cachexia, caused by self-induced malnutrition. In short, Christine starved herself to death after not being able to be with her sister-slash-lover. All of Christine's clinical records regarding the last few years of her life were destroyed in the 1944 bombing of the city. When it comes to the updates regarding Leah Papin, there is a little more mystery. Leah flourished when out from under her older sister's thumb. It was said that she did well in prison and was released early in 1941 after serving eight years, which is wild to me that you can literally rip out someone's eyes and mutilate their bodies and spend such a short time in prison. It is crazy. 
Leia was banned from ever stepping foot in the city of Le Mans. She decided to move 50 miles or 80 kilometers away to live with her mother in the city of Nantes. No way. She did. Where else was she going to go? And that's really not that far away. No. Is it common to ban someone from an entire city after a crime? I think it still happens. If I recall correctly, that's what happened to Jasmine Richardson in Medicine Hat. Oh, true. I just don't think we hear it very often. Leia tried to stay out of the press and avoided reporters as best as she could. She changed her name to Marie and lived out her days as a chambermaid and cleaning lady. Can you believe that she went back to being a maid after killing her employer? And can you imagine being the person who hired her? They probably had no idea. I was just thinking, I wonder if that was on her resume or who did she use as a reference of her past job? (laughs) She had been in jail for the last eight years. She hadn't even been working. That's what I mean. Her last employer would have been the Lantolins. It's true. But with changing her name, she would have just had a clean slate. Yeah. It's not like they could hop on Google and check her reviews. No. Zero stars do not recommend. Surprisingly, Leia did agree to an interview in 1966. The reporter described her as a, quote, ghost of the past that has burned her until she is the color of ash. Leia admitted to the reporter that Christine's spirit would come and visit her. She kept photographs and items of memorabilia that they shared together in the Lancelin home. It was rumored that Leia died in 1982. However, not everyone believes this. It is more widely believed that Leia suffered a stroke later in life that left her unable to speak and partially paralyzed. She died on July 24, 2001, at the age of 89, and was buried next to her mother in Nott. Even though World War II began just six years after this case took place, It remained in the spotlight for years to come and is still described as one of France's most brutal murders. It is horrific. (laughs) It really is. As you can imagine, and as I said already, this case prompted many different movies, books, and plays. I found a list over a page long. A final update on the only Lancelin survivor of House No. 6 on Rue Bruyere. Monsieur René Lancelin continued to live in the house where his wife and daughter were bludgeoned and tortured to death. Apparently, he tried to sell, but there were no takers. He remained there until he passed away sometime in the 1950s, so for around two decades. Wow. That would be hard to live in that house. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I could. Especially since he's seen the bodies. I don't know if that would make it harder or easier, but... Harder. Yeah, I think it would make it harder. Because even when you walk by that step where your daughter's eyeball was first found, on the landing where their bodies were, and then even up on the third floor in the room that the two murderesses were found. You would have the visuals to go along with those memories. You would. That would be so hard to stay in the house. And speaking of the house, it has had a few owners since, and still remains, although it is rumored that it is the only house on the street without a number on it, maybe to deter true crime fans from coming to see it. And that is the case of the two sisters who viciously plucked the eyes from their victims and have been described as having a shared psychosis, the dual dirtbag French maids, Christine and Leia Papin. I can totally see why that case was made into movies and plays and had so much media attention. Absolutely. I didn't watch any of the movies, but even as I was researching it and writing my notes, it was like the movie was playing out in my mind. It was a very visual case for me. And those are the cases that always seem to stay with you. Yeah, I think this one will be with me for a while. And listeners, we hope you'll stay with us when we're back with you next week. When Melissa brings us another case. Until then. See ya. Bye.
Do you want your heated blanket then? No, I'm good for this episode. Okay. I am so riled that... You're warm? I'm not going to sleep today. I need to give you some chocolate. It's in the cupboard when we break. Okay. You can't ask that yet. What? But yes. I'm already putting it together, Christy. You've laid it out so perfectly. (laughs) It's hard to like say those without putting a little bit of an accent in there, but then I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to like be French, but I'm not, but it sounds worse if you don't. Yeah. So I don't know. It is what it is. It sounded fine the way you said it. Okay. So what brought her back? Well, I will get there. Well, just I'll come on. You. No, I can't. Oh. You want me to jump a whole page ahead? I'm a speed reader. You don't want me to be a speed talker. Sometimes I do talk pretty fast. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, sorry, you guys. Watching court cases now is painfully slow if you leave it on oh. regular speed. The only time that I even recognize that I've got it on a higher speed now is if I'm actually watching the video and you see all their hands going like this. I'm like, oh, it is faster, but it sounds normal to me. Leia lived there until her. Sorry. <coughs> I thought you were laughing at me. No, I choked on my own breath. <laughs> it's not so funny when it's you, is it? I don't even know me. what happened. I wasn't even breathing. And all of a sudden I was choking. Well, well maybe that's why you were choking because no. you weren't breathing. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but it was, but I was, or, but it was, but has that, a, oh. Do they, like, I don't know how I'm saying. Incest between sisters? Right. But if they're not getting out any other way. How about sisters? Hey, we're live, pal. And we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now, but we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.